Hi, and welcome to My Gaming Academia, a podcast where we discuss gaming as it relates to psychology and sociology. My name is Reza, a.k.a. Sprintspeed. I'm Javon, a.k.a. Jay Stoney. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. Hysteric. And this is episode 11. It takes a community to raise a player. So we were interested in talking about something that's a little bit less statistics focused this week and a little bit more diving onto kind of the human experience side of uh, gaming and esports and the communities that come up around them. So I guess the first thing I want to pose is what kind of communities do you guys feel like you're a part of when you think of yourself as a gamer? Well, for me, I find myself a part of, I would say, more of the fighting game community, to be quite honest, Um, because I've been enamored with fighting games since I was young, starting with uh, Tekken, which has this funny story on how I was introduced to Tekken. Um, And ever since then, I've always been interested in you know, really just starting out with beating the hell out of people, to be quite <laughs> honest. Um, but then over time, I discovered Evo uh, through a live stream. And ever since then, I started to really invest myself in knowing who the people are in, in the space to the point that that's what I focus on as my uh, area of research. For my PhD is um, African-American experience and identity within the fighting game community. So it kind of, you know, became just not just only my interests, but also I'm part, I feel like I'm part of the community and also my, it has driven uh, my research uh, uh, interests as well. Okay. But how are you going to, I mean, that sounds awesome, but how are you going to say that your intro to Tekken was a really funny story and then just leave it? (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh yeah, that was a great story, but you know. Let's move on from that. We- okay. Real- yeah, I know, okay. right? Like, I okay. want to hear because you're like, oh yeah, because I like beating people, right? I, I want to hear about the downfall, how okay. you turn from beating people <laughs> to being the one getting beat. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, just really quick. Um, so it was um, it was I think when I was like seven, seven or eight, PlayStation Two era, um, and my I was with my mother, and for some reason, the store. Um, this store, think of like your Dollar Tree, but a little bigger. Um, it had like a, a section just for like kids, like to like play in as like your parents, you know, shop around. And they had a TV and a PlayStation 2. And inside the PlayStation 2 was Tekken because they just had it up on the screen. And I was just like, huh, I think I've noticed one of these things before, right? <laughs> and so I sit down and I grab the controller, not knowing what I'm doing. And so I like pick a character and I just start playing with like the AI. Then all of a sudden this kid, he looks around like maybe 10 or 11. He comes and sits down next to me. He's like, hey, you want to play? How old were you? I was seven or eight at the time. Okay. So he's noticeably older. Yeah. And so I was just like, okay. Um, and so he, I start playing against him, right? And he's letting me, he's letting me win. And I know that he's letting me win because I was like going tit for tat with him, getting close to like beating him, but I would always lose. Yeah. And then eventually 
then eventually he like just ramped it up on me <laughs> and he was just beating oh. my behind multiple times straight we played like seven games and every time it was a blowout and then he's like and then he's like okay bye and he just left <laughs> and so here i am seven to eight years old realizing that life is unfair and <laughs> you'll have people into your life without explanation just to ruin you but <laughs> just that is- slap you around throw you on the side and then leave you <laughs> but yeah from- i can i can empathize with younger javon in that scenario you know remember when i was just happy that i got off one move and you beat my ass for it <laughs> yeah so that was my first real like match experience um with someone and my first time feeling well i was confused i was like what just happened like i was winning <laughs> or getting close to winning and then You're all of a sudden he just days <laughs> he just got good all of a sudden i was like what and so it was like my first real experience of like going and get someone uh in this very casual match and though i was dazed and didn't understand what was happening and I didn't see that kid at all throughout the rest of the store. So it was like one of those fantasies. Like, <laughs> was he even real? Was he real? Was he you the see ghost of Tekken future. <laughs> and, but I, I, I applaud that kid because if I didn't have that experience, I may not have been <laughs> the current fighting game researcher that I am wow. today. That's awesome. And just to circle back, when you mentioned fighting games, uh, you say Tekken specifically here. Uh, what are like some of the other iconic games just in that genre to exemplify a bit? Oh, um, Tekken started on PlayStation 2. Then when I got a GameCube, that was Soul Calibur 4. Um, and then once I got my Xbox 360, I got Mortal Kombat 9, which is technically just Mortal Kombat. But that was when they came back into the, the console scene. And ever since then, I've been focused on Dragon Ball Fighters and uh yeah dragon ball fighters and now mortal kombat um 11 okay cool um i think i've played most of those well maybe not those individual titles but at least all the franchises at some point mm-hmm. and uh <clears throat> i routinely get trounced so uh, I <laughs> um eric what about yourself do you also consider yourself part of the fgc uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the communities I think I'm a part of because uh, so I actually have been also been playing like a ton of fighting games like when I was younger, just like not like seriously, just like various on and off ones. Like uh-huh. I had played ver- these various ones. I, I forget one, uh, what one of their names was. It was my preferred one. But um, there was another one that was called like Fighters Destiny or something that I remember playing. Uh, that's, I've never I think even that, heard of that. Yeah, I think those were like my first fighting games when I was um when I was like younger, uh, eventually I played like things like Soul Calibur and Tekken at like, um, at like an arcade thing mm. in the movie theater. Uh, that's where I ended up playing those games. Uh, I also played Street Fighter when I got like a plate, no, like Street Fighter 2 specifically when I got like a PlayStation. I remember playing Marvel versus Capcom 2 at an arcade at like the community center. So nice. I played a bunch of different various fighting games and like Mortal Kombat, I played at my friend's house and things like that. Um, so I didn't, but I didn't really ever like seriously start getting into the FGC until, um, until college in our junior year with, uh, with Javon. He was playing uh, the new MK10. Oh, nice. And, and that's where that story where I got my ass beat. Um, Wait, from. can you elaborate on that real quick? Because you've 
we've referenced it, but I don't know if we have the, the story. <laughs> well, we we've talked about the whole story before. No, oh, on we the have. podcast. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we have. But just as a refresher, basically, like I was playing Cassie. Uh, I was trying to get her to throw out her gunshots. I managed to do it. I did a whoop whoop. Javon took that as me popping off on him and proceeded <laughs> to dial everything up to no, literally, you know, his max skill level and beat my ass. And everyone in the room looked at Javon like he was like some toxic motherfucker. And he was like, what the hell is wrong with you? He was like, you want to pop off on me? And everyone's like, he was just happy he got to <laughs> move, dude. I felt like such so, the asshole. Um, so that's just a quick recap of that. But uh, I've been in and out of like various communities to be honest like uh-huh. i played a lot of maple story when i was younger stopped playing that when i got to like high school had played various other mmorpgs uh i I've know been playing- we met uh via the starcraft club in college yeah 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 so like i i played starcraft a bunch like i've been on a little bit of a hiatus but like um i still consider myself part of our community because i keep track of things like being on the reddit and all that yeah fgc includes so many different games so like you know like i played Tekken, I dabble in MK when Javon's around. I play Smash with you and our other friend Frank. Uh, I also play like other various shooters. Like I played a lot of Call of Duty when I was in high school. Mm, yeah. uh, less so now, but like, you know, when Modern Warfare 2019 came out, I played a ton of that. I played Titanfall. Um, I, yeah, Titanfall is like a, a series that I adore. So like I definitely got into Apex for a good amount of chunk of time. Uh, playing various MMORPGs, like I'm playing Guild Wars right now. You know, I'm in and out of a lot of communities, but I think my core ones at this point in time, I would say like the ones that are like an established community would just be StarCraft and the FGC primarily, and probably Guild Wars. Yeah. Um, And to keep mine a little brief, but I also think I've jumped kind of in and out of a lot of different communities. I've, a lot of the ones I kind of see myself as part of have generally been defined by my device where I play primarily on PC. So uh, League of Legends has been one of my mainstays for the last decade of my life, but also have played a lot of StarCraft prior to that. Uh, Also, I was into Hearthstone a decent amount for a while, um, a few years ago, back when I think Hearthstone overall has kind of dipped in popularity, but I I would consider myself part of that previously. and then I've played Smash Bros all my life. I would kind of consider myself part of the community, but I don't I don't know if I necessarily feel like that as my primary uh attribution, I guess. But <clears throat> one thing that's interesting is that uh when both of you guys were talking about the FGC, there one thing that stood out to me was the diversity of places you played on it. So a lot of times um where I've been involved in like League of Legends, everyone that plays League of Legends is on PC by default. Uh, StarCraft, everyone that plays StarCraft is on PC by default because that's the only place you can do it. But I think it's really interesting how you swapped from like PS2 Javon to then the GameCube for Soul Calibur. And then um, I know you've also played in the arcades, but Eric, you specifically mentioned like arcades playing that genre. Um, so that that's one thing that I think that's really interesting is the development of these communities and like how where and the mechanics where you physically play them has an impact on, I guess who picks it up and then where you, I guess how it evolves. So to speak. 
Yeah, and I think like the development of these specific communities is something to look at at some point too, like uh maybe later on. But like, you know, um in general though, like communities are also not even just like something like FGC or like the individual game. Like you mentioned, it's like the consoles, right? Like uh, you know, like, oh, I'm a PC gamer, I'm a console gamer. Like yeah. I guess people wouldn't have grown at this, but I'm a mobile gamer, like you know. Yeah. It's also based on the platform, right? Because it's kind of as quote unquote PC gamers like you and I and Javon, we play in so many different games that it's kind of how do we actually classify like, are we going to say like all these various communities? Actually, like Javon, he didn't mention it, but he plays Overwatch a lot. That's his primary shooter and he has played call of duty and all those things so is he part of those communities i don't know but we know he plays them because he's a pc gamer yeah so i guess javon if i can ask you a pointed question why did you not mention overwatch but you emphasize uh some of the fgc games more even if during covid it's maybe Mm -hmm. um knowing that during covid it Mm -hmm. might be a little more difficult to do in-person fgc stuff um, I think for me, I I feel that I invest, I'm way more invested in knowing the people at play in the FGC more than the people at play in Overwatch. So what does that mean? As in, yeah, I like recognize the names of like teams and stuff uh, for Overwatch League, but it, like I don't actively always watch overwatch league sometimes i just watch it just to fill in some time in the background like you know for background noise i don't actively like oh they're having like a tournament coming up soon let me make sure i like set my agenda or put on my calendar to watch that or be aware of that unlike in the fgc where it's just like oh they're having the mortal Kombat pro tournament on this weekend let me make sure i watch that oh you you have um ceo uh in florida let me make sure i watch that oh of course evo that's just like don't even talk to me eric what you which which one you watch oh i'm watching this okay we we're going to reconvene for the (laughs) for the finals and stuff like that right because eric and i have done that before and we three have flying out to to make yeah (laughs) right so that's why i feel like i'm more invested in like the fgc in terms of like community wise where for me overwatch is like i know i know some people who play them like professionally i keep aware of like maybe some like the bugs and issues and stuff and updates but like i I really yeah or like the meta and stuff like that but like i'm invested in a completely different way that I don't feel that I would designate myself as like, I would, I mean, if I'm like part of the Overwatch community, I would say it's very tangentially where I feel like I'm more and like more into the FGC community. But I suppose that brings up the question of what do we define as being part of the community? then? Because like, mm-hmm. I do see you as part of the community. Like, you know, I don't follow every freaking competitive scene for every fighting game. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't make me any less part of the FGC. I don't think, you know, Reza really follows much of the competitive scene for Smash in the sense. Like, he, mm-hmm. he kind of knows, but it's not like he, you yeah, know. I'm not like looking, looking up tournament results every week. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's definitely part of the Smash uh, scene, I would say. And same thing with you. Or just same thing with the majority of players, right? Like, not every single person who's 
a Call of Duty fan watches Call of Duty Proly. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we have to have a good friend, a friend of ours, uh, Nikki. She's definitely into Call of Duty. I would definitely call her like a member of the Call of Duty community. I don't think she watches any sort of pro esports shit whatsoever. Yeah, and I don't think she really cares about like the pro level competition, but it's right. that's interesting. So then, yeah, so then what makes it the community? It, mm-hmm. What is the definition? Like, what makes it that you are part of the community? What is the community? Is the community like the people who are invested in the esports scene are mm-hmm. uh, or the professional scene? What about for the games that don't have a professional scene? Right, like like Maple Story. I don't think like, there's a professional scene for that, but there's a definitely a Maple Story community. Or like Cyberpunk, which came out at the end of last <laughs> year. Like <laughs> I've been reading all the Reddit forums and discussions about it, but mm-hmm. it's not I wouldn't say I'm like part of the Cyberpunk community. Um one thing exactly. that really stood out to me as a pattern when Javon was talking was that this the distinction he saw between his involvement in Overwatch and FGC seemed to me at least is that his connection to the FTC was very human to human at its roots, where he was talking about, I follow the players. I go to events and speak to people. I want to share my thoughts and emotions with my friends about like Evo matches um, versus Overwatch. The, the things he mentioned where I want to follow the meta. I want to see like the updates that are happening to the game. I might follow a couple of the teams, but it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. it's as much of that like human connection. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, like that one on one connection, like when I play Overwatch, sometimes I play Overwatch by myself. Um, but many times I play Overwatch with, uh, you know, you two and our other friends. And that's as far as I go yeah. um, actively uh, with that. But yeah, with the FGC, it definitely is different because I'm way more interested, of course, the gameplay and all that stuff, but I'm also interested in, you know, understanding, you know, how people think about games and strategy and what it means for them to be part of community. Yeah, it's research based um, most of the time, but honestly, just research aside, I'm, I'm very curious about just the like the nature of what it means for uh, this this grassroots community Um to flourish to prosper you know pitfalls and downfalls stuff like that well my understanding correct me if i'm wrong but i i feel like the professional work you do is almost secondary to the fact that you just naturally feel like you belong with those events and those people Mm -hmm. and the fact that you can do work along in that environment um is fortunate And that's probably why you excel at that kind of work, in my opinion, because Mm -hmm. you already feel like you deserve to be there or you should be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very um, good point. That's a very good point Um, because I know that I've, I know that one particular consequence, not saying consequence is a bad thing, but one particular consequence of me probably feeling more accepted in the community is because of my maleness Right. Because the FGC is Uh, very masculine um, in its structure. Uh, um, And so I may feel more I know I feel more comfortable being in the space, probably by virtue of like, oh, I see a lot of other dudes around me. Now, do I necessarily embrace that side of me? No, but I do know that is one of those inherent benefits that I just don't think about uh, because I'm in the space and most people look like me. Um, you know, as like in terms of like uh, maleness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's consistent 
to my understanding, across all competitive gaming where you'll have like four out of five of every person in attendance be, or not even attendance, but just like interested be male rather than female, unfortunately. Another thing you talk about a lot is that how you're going to tournaments and like playing in them. And that's that's something cool because in the League of Legends, and I think the majority of like, this applies to the majority of PC games, tournament attendance is the experience that people have around like playing and competing in tournaments is very different. If you're playing a PC game, you have access to very rapid and stable matchmaking all the time, usually. So tournament attendance is really like high caliber and very rare. If you're saying like, I'm going to compete in a league of legends or a hearthstone tournament, that's like, wow, you are real serious. But then if I go to like the Smash community saying, yeah, I'm going to go to a local tournament, that's like the barrier to entry. It's like you're not even a part of those people unless you're unless you have are going consistently. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's one of those interesting things, right? Because it reminds me of the situation with the the Pakistan community coming up in oh. Tekken, right? How in a sense, they kind of just came out from obscurity. Like no one knew they were a community and such. And cause you're talking about like, Oh, like these are, the, this is the barrier to entry. Like going to turns, like none of these guys ever went to any of these big tournaments before. All of a sudden they come to a big tournament and they're blowing all these veterans out of the water. And it's one of those like, okay, so what kind of tournaments did they have back home then? Because those are probably those kind of grassroots, like local tournaments that they had yeah. just back at home. So why is it that, you know, so why in a sense almost discount that? Like I get what you were saying and it's like, it's like, oh, that's our barrier to entry. But it's also kind of like, no, in a way I, I kind of see it as like, if you're going to a tournament, like you are playing this semi-seriously you may not be trying to reach like the upper echelons of like professional play but if you are trying to compete you are in this game you are there to try to improve like even you you were like oh hey me and frank are going to go play duos at tn or and you each are going to play your singles you guys were practicing a lot yeah because that's just what it was so like I'm kind of like, I feel like that's more of a, just like, that's just the stage and, you know, not the barrier to entry. It's more just the, that's just one of the steps along the way. Yeah. So I guess my, uh, my understanding is like, uh, I mean, you can be involved in terms of watching things and stuff, but with a lot of uh, fighting games and I'll include smash in that bucket. uh, My understanding or my, opinion is that it doesn't seem like if you're not really going to locals you're not like really a quote-unquote like smash player or a tekken player as much as like if you're just kind of practicing stuff online that's the impression i get but i guess i i could be misaligned in my understanding well no i think that is a very that's a very natural response to it because like that is where the big scenes happen. So it, it kind of makes sense, but it, it, it reminds me of another scenario, right? Uh, so there is a Tekken player named book from Thailand. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a Jin main like myself. Yay. yay. <laughs> but he is the only pro professional player from Thailand. 
the scene, the local scene is pretty much just him and his friends. He like he's either practicing online or with his uh, friends. It isn't like tournaments; they're just in-house games. So you know, you're saying like um, people are just watching the games rather than practicing online. It's like, well, for people like him, he's considered a pro player, but how else is he going to practice in some ways? It kind of reminds me of that scenario because like there's even a video discussing, you know how you get good without like a local Tekken scene and become a pro, right? Yeah. I think it was by, I think it was by Corey gaming. Uh, but yeah, like uh, he, you talk about that and it's kind of like, okay, so where does that standard come out? Right. And so I think the key there is that, is that um, kind of playing to our title. It's that you need the community. You do need to be part of the community in order to you know, start raising to that level because now like book has, his community of his friends who like are all with him, helping him grow, become like a better professional player, etc. So he has that community to bring that out of him. Same thing with the Pakistan community. They have a community there. They have their own grassroots system where they just kept playing each other and micromanaging and improving every little bit. And mm-hmm. that's how they came onto the big scenes. It's not that, Oh, because um, they were going to big tournaments. It's just that the tournaments themselves are that like, level of entering community and again playing back to what you said about like the human human uh connection that javon emphasized so much when he's talking about the fgc like it's that right uh same thing with league because like with league we're playing with like other people right you're you're playing with other people on your team so by in and of itself you kind of have in a way a weird micro community in your own direct team right there like every Um, game you play yeah, exactly. So you kind of so you have those interactions with people already versus uh, something like Tekken or StarCraft, which are one v one. So you have to engage with your opponents as your community to build that growth. And I think that's one of those interesting things about community and how those mm-hmm. you know play into like the whole raising the player thing. And they spawn their own cultures and everything. I think. Um, so like a book definition out of uh, one of my textbooks that I was double checking earlier, culture is basically a consistent form of like sharing information or so that gets passed down between generations and such that helps to meet a like a specific standard of like survival or continuation of like life and finding meaning and value in life. And you know, every community has its own cultures and such. And so the culture is a huge thing of when you think about like a community, like you think about like nations are like very, or like, you know, nationalities and such are very obvious, big examples of like giant communities in a sense. And they all yeah. clearly, like how do you define the differences? Like they have different cultures, very, you know, like it's subtly kind of just obvious that that's the case. So when you think about these games and such, like what is the culture behind it? Okay, well, like for something like uh, Tekken, the culture is you get bodied to get better and you have to do a lot of (laughs) self-research and testing. I guess just to say, I think it's interesting, like how in a lot of these cases, there's like that uh, question of how do you get better without your locals? And these stories are really significant that these amazing players are coming from places without the traditional setup, quote unquote, of having your kind of large tournament infrastructure. And I think the significance of like, like somebody asking that question online, how do I get better without a, without locals is like that belies in a deeper assumption 
that you should be going to these locals on a regular basis. Or like the story of Arslan Ash is really impressive because he doesn't have that traditional structure. On like the online matchmaking side for like League of Legends, if you told somebody, yeah, I'm going to a league tournament next month, that that'd be like uh, shocking. It's like, oh, you're not just like playing at home. Uh, so I, I think it is really interesting how those cultures evolve. Where I know in previous episodes, Javon, you were talking about how a lot of fighting games came up in arcade cultures. Uh, so that having that like physical human to human meet and greet um, is already kind of built up over the years, and a lot of the people you're playing, you get to have a really strong relationship with versus the. Um, I guess doing like the Starcraft example, it's like, I don't, there are maybe a few ex- exceptions where like I will meet somebody in a random match made game and then like talk to them afterwards. But I, I don't feel like I get a lot of human. I don't, I'm not like building relationships when I'm playing one V one on Starcraft, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 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 I think one thing that also can have a really significant influence on like all these ecosystems is the involvement of the developer and how they their attitudes toward um, different tournaments and <laughs> how they support or inhibit those uh, those. And I'm, we can probably go a lot deeper on this in a different mm-hmm. episode. But um, I know, for instance, just to kind of like rattle off a quick list uh like nintendo can be actively harmful to tournaments in the community um you have some companies that offer a very low level of support where they just kind of allow events to happen they might host like one or two big events a year like valve or ea Mm -hmm. uh then you have some that are offer a very strong amount of support and like they'll run really long circuits or like uh, a large tournament structure but then also still allow a lot of independent tournament organizers to operate like capcom uh with street fighter or like bandai namco with tekken they each have pro circuits but then individual ones and then you have like the death grip of like activision blizzard or riot games where they run a fully sustained ecosystem but there's not really any other events beyond theirs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um I'm glad that you you mentioned this because um, how gaming communities have fashioned themselves to be nowadays, in some way, you're always like, if you want your community to become bigger or the community becomes bigger where more money is involved, you're really starting to talk about the corporatization of the market um, even more so, Um, right? So for Nintendo... They're, they're, I don't know. Nintendo's <laughs> it's, it's, it's just interesting because Nintendo's whole thing as a company, right, is like family oriented, you know, like stuff like that, right? Playing yeah. games together, same space, those kinds of things, right? And yet they are so, or they have been so antithetical. First, they didn't want to be in the mobile market at first, right? They were strictly <laughs> against no mobile games, right? And then also, if you wanted to stream any Nintendo games, I don't know if it's still a problem, but if you wanted to stream any Nintendo games at all, they were outright just like DMC you, right? For you to take it down. And yeah, when it comes to like the Smash community, um, you have that ongoing tension that people still talk about, about if Smash is still like a fighting game or not, which I think is irrelevant now. But historically, it's okay. The creator may have not intended for this to be at like this professional uh, level of play. But that's kind of what happens 
largely to anything once you put it out into the universe. Like yeah. it's fashion. a well-designed competition. Like people are going to want to compete. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like you can like if people wanted to like make something that is just seems like a very arbitrary down home game and make it competitive, then who's to stop into doing that, right? Uh, so yeah, Nintendo is just one of those companies that is, is, is always in, just interesting on you know the reasoning for marketing certain games. But when you when the community wants something else, and Nintendo is just like, well, we didn't think of that, so no, <laughs> they, right? <laughs> so they actively do stuff, and it's in you know you think about other companies that do take this kind of approach where it's they want to actively support, if not strengthen, or even just develop their own scene. And sometimes we can have those contentions where games are coming out being made specifically to be named as like an esports game. Like, oh, we're building this to be the next esports game. So they're already assuming that their game is going to capture a lot of people and maintain and you know maintain well first develop a community and then maintain such a community right uh so the corporate level structure is just very interesting on how that impacts the shaping of a community uh, over yeah. time what would you say is your favorite level involvement um I assume it's probably not Nintendo, but um, <laughs> you prefer a very open circuit type approach where anybody can make whatever they want in the scene. Or do you maybe prefer like the heavier hand of guidance that like mm. uh, that some companies offer? I, I'm, I'm very big, especially for the FGC. They was all like by themselves, right? Like you have people just collectively saying, hey, we want to have a tournament. Right there. So let me just find the space um, and let's get people. um, And then there we go. Like Evo at its origin um, did not become this grandiose, like (laughs) stadium, all that stuff as it is now. Evo was very small. Evo was, first of all, I mean, Evo went by a different name back then and like in the early 90s. And it was like very small. And then they worked their way up to like being in a hotel. And that was already huge, right? You get to have a hotel just for a fighting game. That's cool. And then it became so big. They're just like, yeah. oh, no, we have to rent out this entire space down to hold. Yeah. People. I mean, if you look at like moment 37, uh, that iconic Street Fighter moment uh, there, it's it's being held in a relatively large room, but it's nothing near the Mandalay Bay arena like mm-hmm. it is in modern times. <laughs> Yeah, so I like the grassroots kind of efforts um, that uh, that makes these, um, or I would say, help these games flourish into their own. People feel more connected to it when corporate like entities start to really put their own spin on it. It's mm-hmm. it's always at least. I say nice, like, for example, Mortal Kombat, right? They've definitely, uh, in the past couple of years, since they've come, like, started making games, uh, again, under NetherRealm Studios, uh, they've definitely been more involved in creating their own circuits. But, of course, with that means, they're the ones that makes the rules. Um, and, therefore, they're the yeah. ones that can silence particular kinds of speech, Um uh, mm. Which recently happened uh, to someone who was uh, playing in an online tournament, and 
in Mortal Kombat, you can name a variant of your character. So, right. So there's Kung Lao, but you can play three different variations of Kung Lao and you can name that variation. And someone had was playing some character, forget, but they named the variation. Why did Netherrealm? Shiva. Shiva, Yeah. They named the variation. Why did Netherrealm do this? (laughs) As like a jab against the studio. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, and, and they and they got straight disqualified because of it, which was pretty like straight up. Yeah, straight just, up disqualified. Yeah, no, no warning, no nothing. They, no, it was just like, not you're done. You're done. And okay, that's it. I, it was so <laughs> awkward for the commentators because they're they were just, they were oh just like, God. yeah, and they're talking about the game that yeah, and then just silence. And then one of them was like, <laughs> oh no, all right, like ah. Uh, like, uh, it's like it, all the players looking into the commentators and being like, so what's going on? The commentators are looking towards the producer and being like, what's going on? The producer's looking towards like, you know, anywhere else and being like, we don't know. Oh, no. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I don't obviously understand the full context of the situation, but I've, I feel like Cage just messaged somebody to be like, hey, change your name. Like, we don't like this. <laughs> yeah, like that's what the player was saying. I would have changed it if I was even given the opportunity. The, the, I think the problem ends up being that it's like he wasn't even given the opportunity or a warning. Like if he had been given yeah. a warning, it would have been like, okay, that's kind of shitty. But like, but like at the end of the day, whatever, he still got to play. But it's just like he just got straight booted. That's kind of sucks. But uh-huh. um, you know, that's neither, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, Devon, you were saying, but. I- I think this goes into another kind of discussion, which is about the controlling of speech or the freedom of speech. Yeah. Right. Trash talking is like just as commonplace in as like your football and like your basketball. Right. Like in fighting game tournaments, you'll see the what we call the pop offs. Right. So when someone's yeah. like beat their opponent really, really badly or finally just won and then you pop off. Right. And then sometimes people's chairs go flying back or expletives or, you know, thrown. And of course, trash talking can trash talking, depending on your perspective, typically can involve just outright negative or just hate speech uh, some of the time or just very sexist speech. Uh, so it comes very contentious because there's trash talking where it's just like, man, you suck. Da, 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 da. But like, yeah. it could be a an assumption of a level of understanding where it's like, okay, he's trash talking me, but he doesn't mean that like personally. So I'm just walk away from it. But of course, it depends on so many contexts because can you say you suck even though you're maybe talking to someone who is literally a minority in the space. Like, what does that mean for them? Right. Yeah. How are there's also things like history to take into consideration with that. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if someone new to the scene is like, Oh man, why are these P2 people like are so vicious with their words to each other? Like they're like talking about like, you know, killing each other, this and this and this. And it's like, but if you don't know the history, it's like, no, these two are like really good friends. This this kind of stuff just escalated as a joke for them, and now they just say it as a matter of course. Yeah, I that's one thing I love about the FGC is just the pop offs, like you mentioned, the celebrations after you win uh, or pull off something really insane. Um, and one of the, I love the league community, but God, a lot of the people are just so soft, and I say that in terms of like trash talking. I love to see good, fun trash talk. Um, and I understand when you're putting yourself out there in front of some in front of millions of people online, like you get un un almost unimaginable levels of harassment oftentimes. But I um 
<laughs> I just want to see more like a little more banter in like league matches um, sometimes. Well, I, I think that's like another discussion to have an, another point about like what yeah. makes it trash talk versus like actually just being like a toxic piece of shit. But, you know, in some ways that's kind of, you know, that that's also like a community thing, right? Like yeah. league has so much of this toxicity that it's kind of any level of just smack talk, just, you know, like, you know, like just for fun trash talking ends up being like, yo, what the hell? Why are you toxic? And that's an attitude for the league community where, you know, like with league. Yeah. Like if anyone says anything to me, I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. Fuck. I'm not, I'm not about to deal with this. This is not a good time. Fuck this. I'm out. But in fucking Tekken, oh, you're going to use that move like a little bitch. You know, so, someone says that now. Someone says that to me like, oh, you're going to use this uh, champion in league. You're a little bitch. It's like, okay, you're being toxic. I'm talking uh, that to Javon to his face. And it's just like, are we about to go down? Like, yeah. that, and I think it's just that because, you know, like uh, that the attitude and the culture that was around that community ended up kind of making that like based on the game or the community it's received differently and you know where it's coming from it to a degree and i think that speaks to like the human connections we were talking about earlier if you were to like it if you were to sit down and play somebody you've never met before and say you're a little bitch like i think people <laughs> i think that would still be taken as like what the what the bro calm down <laughs> but like you guys being friends and knowing that you've played each other a number of times. Um, I think that's a really strong benefit that you can have in some of those one-on-one fighting games where you do build that kind of foster that longer term relationship. Sure. I, I guess that part to, to kind of like go off that point, then, you know, I guess what I mean by like that toxicity thing is like, even if you were, if you were to say that kind of stuff to me, in like in league, it would still be kind of toxic though. Like you and me, we know each other, we play each other in person, etc. Like if you were to do that, it kind of be like, yo, why? No, it still would have this air of like, why are you being toxic, right? And that's I feel because of the culture surrounding league with toxicity. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a certain line, you know. I'll say like, oh, res a feed. It's like you know, but I'm saying it more as a joke because it's not it's not actually trash talking. I'm just saying it as a joke. But if I were to actually trash talk you, it would come off a lot differently for League. Yeah, and the ways that people communicate in each one is definitely different. Do you have a specific favorite uh, type of, I guess, developer involvement? Do you think having being able to, I guess, having a heavier control is like beneficial or? Um, do you prefer the more open style of competition? So I think it depends. And this is, again, kind of a another thing about like the attitude and culture and temperament of the community, right? Um, something like the FGC, a lot of their tournaments started, like they have a lot of old history making tournaments happen before there was all this corporate involvement. So they're very used to, you know, having either small support or strong support. So in a way, like it kind of be like, hey, we're okay with that. But if there was going to be like a corporate, you know, control death grip, like with Riot or like how uh, Netherlands is starting to do, it might start feeling a little weird, right? And that's, Mm -hmm. again, 
that's dependent on the comedian and temperament because there's merits I feel to, except for active harm, there's merit to each, right? With small support, it's like, hey, the businesses are hands off. They're not taking any of the money. The community organizers get to take this and grow it how they want to. Right. But the downside is that they have to do everything. They don't have that corporate backing to get the venue, create the production value, all this and this and this. Um, strong support. There's like a mid-ground with that in a way, but still leans towards like there's still a lot of work that the um, – that the organizers have to do, even if the uh, even if the comp- uh, corporate company is providing like a little a bit more support, and then Death Grip, it's like, oh yeah, you get all this backing, all this production value, all this, but then how does it grow from the community? Because then the growth is all driven by the yeah. what is it like the the salary books or whatever, just the, right. uh, the the dollar books, rather than hey, the community is like you know like like we went to DTN and it was like yeah, this was kind of a it was fun to play, but like the organization in general, we were kind of like, yo, some of this is, uh, we understand it's hard, but at some time, at the same time, it's like, some of this is kind of scuffed. This mm. wasn't done very great. And so that's like the community can be just straight up like, Hey, improve this. And then the tournament organizers having more, having like, you know, less corporate grip can be yeah. like, okay, we're going to put our money towards like be held more accountable. I yeah, guess. yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, there's benefits to each, but it depends on the community, I feel. So um, I'm really okay with any one of them, in a sense, except for the active harm. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I generally agree with that sentiment. If I had to pick a favorite, I'd probably say I like kind of um, the way the not full control, but like you, like Capcom, they have the Capcom Pro Tour, and then they also allow really robust kind of community led organizations like Evo and stuff um, from a player and fan perspective. But um, that not to say there aren't benefits to all the different layers. Like you just went over. Um, Do you guys have any other final thoughts, I guess on this topic? Um, For me, um, the FGC is a culturally diverse, um, uh, space uh and it is really unique in terms of a, its history in terms of its longevity and its uh in its growth and how it's evolving but also we must acknowledge that there are still underlying and unfortunately just gross misconduct sexism and not racism in a different sense um that is still woven too deeply a part of the fighting game community, which we can dive into in like other episodes, of course. Uh, so for me, I guess I'll just leave it as if you're going to participate in any community uh, gaming or non-gaming, right? Try your best to always just be supportive, um, do call outs. So when someone is, doing like negative behavior or harmful behavior or actions in this space. If you are part of that space or that community, then in some ways you should also put yourself in a position to call that out. Say, Hey, why are you, why are you doing this? Um, Like this is not good because it takes literally a community in order to maintain what the community wants itself to be. And if it's going to try and maintain itself to be a space 
inclusive uh, of all walks of life where everyone feels comfortable playing in the space, you have to do the work as well to maintain that space, which includes uh, making sure that you are in some ways an arbiter of, of truth within the community saying, hey, don't do this. We don't allow this in here because one person can start to really affect uh, uh, the whole space unless people start to um, call it out, take command of it as best as possible, or even change themselves structurally to make it a more inclusive, um, diverse. Yeah, and you have space. to you have to really instigate the change you want to see mm-hmm. or let hold people accountable. Yourself. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Eric, do you have any final thoughts? I think just that with communities, it's really fun to just look at, like we mentioned a lot, the human to human interactions and such. That's a lot of the sort of interpersonal relationships are kind of what fostered the connections that created the growth and creation of these cultures. And so there's a lot of socialization and enculturation that happened in terms of uh, creating these communities, uh, socialization being basically the process on which people learn and internalize the rules and such that these small communities started melding together from those interpersonal relationships and then the enculturation of passing on these generations. Again, we keep mentioning FGC, but it, you know the FGC started decades ago and mm-hmm. you know even now we've learned and grown into the community. And so how that all plays, it's kind of like, it's really interesting thing to look at. I think looking at the various communities that you are a part of and seeing how they differ in their little quirks, nuances, attitudes, mindsets, beliefs, etc. Even looking to like how maybe the demographics of your area change because i know like uh, the locals we have here for the fgc are very different than the locals they have up in say like new york city or like or anything so looking at those things trying to see that being aware of it i feel will help you gain a better idea of what your community is about as well as maybe how you can spread and or link your community with other communities what things are in common and maybe even one day it'll just be like you know because with the fgc it's like we don't say like oh the tekken community or this and this we we generally say fgc so maybe one day it's kind of same thing with league oh just the moba community in general or things like that you never know how will that all play out one day yeah for sure um cool i think i've kind of wraps up my thoughts as well uh i do want to say a shout out to snacky being in your community eric but um oh yeah yeah no he's been he's been a definite supporter so uh be sure to uh, check him out on uh on twitch at that uh that's snack a spelled snack a y y so (laughs) (laughs) nice Um, he's been asking us for this episode too so uh hopefully we don't disappoint uh, heck yes i hope he enjoys uh i hope all of you enjoy anyways uh that'll be it for me i'm reza aka sprint I'm Javon, a.k.a. Jay Stoney. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. Hysteric. Goodbye.